encouraging entrepreneurship and job creation are key to building a good economy and society as they are effective measures to eradicate forced labor, slavery, and human trafficking. All these are under the goal aid of the Sustainable Development Goals, which states decent work and economic growth. So on today's episode, I would be having other people here with me to talk about a very interesting topic. So I'd love for them to introduce themselves. So hello, everyone. I'm Krenom X. And... Um, I'm the campus coordinator of SDG Act FUNAB, and basically SDG Act FUNAB is actually an organization that deals with um, creating awareness about the sustainable development goals through practical steps, through project implementation and partnerships, strategic partnerships. So um, the sustainable goals are the blueprint for a sustainable future, a better future, where we actually um, seek to achieve these um, UN goals by 2030. And so today we'll be talking about one of the goals and that is um, goal eight. Um, yeah, so um, Mr. Okay, so today's topic is building a sustainable economy through social security and finance. So I hope you stated that down. That is the topic for today. Intriguing, right? Yes, so we have an expert that will be taking us or would be walking this journey with us as we talk about this okay, yeah. topic today. Okay, yeah, so, that's right, Um, In my introduction earlier, I was actually, yeah, you know, you, you saved the, the best part for the last. So I'm actually not here alone. And um, I'm informally, I also, I'll be co-moderating this session with um, Mr. Ra. And yeah, we have um, Yunus Ibrahim with us. And Yunus Ibrahim is an analyst at Economics Direct Orb Lagos. And he's also the founder of CV Orb, where um, they, they offer services such as CV writing, cover letter writing, and um, interview prep services. And Yunus has, um, has interned with several financial and professional services firms including ICANN, KPMG, Sterling Bank, Standard Chanta Bank um, in Ghana. And amazingly, with this beautiful profile, Yunus is a recent graduate of um, University of Lagos with a first-class degree in accounting. Yes, uh, it is first-class degree in accounting. He also enjoys um, volunteering, networking, and learning in his yeah, time. Um, Yunus is actually very, very humbling to have you here today. Much fun. I feel humbled by achievement information. However, when I was going through all of this, I do not expect to showcase my achievements because I'm very young. Anyways, that isn't the topic for today. I'm glad I would be having this conversation with internet to discuss what we are all passionate about the sustainable development goals and i'm very much excited about this as you've been putting ourselves in line with achieving the united nations sustainable development goal 2030 yes the saying it all begins from us if we are youth we are the nation builders thank you so much for having me and i hope i will be able to share my journey I hope I will be able to share 
my view on the topic, and then I hope I will be able to learn from everyone here as well. Thank you. Said yes. Thank you very much, Junius, for that um, humbling um, introduction. So I said in in your talk earlier, you mentioned something about how achieving the sustainable development goal is actually uh, it, it starts from us. So now, as an analyst, I would ask mm -hmm. you, what do you think? Um, what or what is the projected yeah. image? Oh, um, okay. What the so, economy would look like? Thank you very like. much. I would start by giving you my view of what the sustainable economy should look like before diving into the major indicators highlighted by the United Nations and our present stance in the world. Um, of course, defense economies, developing economy, emerging economies, and Africa. A sustainable and inclusive economic growth is necessary for achieving all of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, 2030, 17 of them, actually. So in 2017 to around 2018, 2019, the global economy has been hovering around 2 to 3%, with developing nations, the likes of the first world countries, United States, we look at Europe, and we look at some part in Asia, taking the lead and emerging economies cutting across Africa and North Asia, lagging amongst their peers. Looking at these statistics and compared to a 7% GDP growth per annum defined as, the, as an indicator of sustainable economy by the United Nations goal, by the United Nations 2030, means that as economies of different worlds simply have a lot of things to do, the world is lagging in relation to achieving all global goals, not just goal eight, but all of the global goals. The world is lacking. Therefore, there's a need for mutual collaboration. There's a need for an increased participation. There's a need for public-private partnership towards achieving all of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So a sustainable economy is that that is characterized by and increase GDP, GDP being an indicator of economic growth. So by this, I mean that a sustainable economy is characterized by the growth of wealth. We look at this in terms of the market value of all goods and services you've been able to produce and how much you earn in terms of your foreign exchange, your foreign earnings, and the GDP per capita. And then another measure we equally look at is the overall change in productivity of a country labor force. So in this sense, how much does each individual in a particular country get? This leads us to per capita income. We are talking about a sustainable economy where citizens, where everyone will be able to live comfortably and at least meet the necessities of life. But reverse is the case, as major countries in Africa followed by North Asia are barely living below $2, and that's quite pathetic. That isn't a picture of a sustainable economy that we all want to be. A sustainable economy equally promotes policies that support mm. job creation and employment, where every individual, at least 90% of the global economy, would be fully and gratefully engaged. A sustainable development economy is that economy that promotes decent work, equality, equality cutting across sex, you know, diversity, gender, skin color, and fairness above all methods. And finally, a sustainable economy should ensure 
and equitable access to financial services where, where liquidity would be maintained in the system, a reduced inflation rate, and an increased employment and an increase and an increased employment rate that would help propel economic growth and development into the long run. Thank you. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's that's amazing. So let me just um take you up on what you said, the, your last point. Uh, you know, you mentioned something about um financial management and all of that. So um, going back to our topic, going back to our topic, what does um what would you see of the social security system in Nigeria today, and how do you think it contributes towards um a sustainable okay. so financial management? On this particular topic, I haven't had a lot of experiences regarding the social security system of Nigeria. As mentioned earlier, I am a recent graduate. However, I will be leveraging on some of the things I have learned in the classroom and some of the experiences I have heard from people within the workforce. A social security system basically are collective remedies that promote diversity and deficiencies. So a situation where people have access to their pensions, have access to, to disability compensations, have access to debt benefits, as well as almost free of quasi-medical and healthcare services. So now, this is a standard that is practiced globally. Every economy has plans for social security system because they understand that it is important for people's future to be secured. It is important that people have access and plans for their retirement into the long run. And this is actually one of the underlying policies of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal 8 that ensures that all governments put into place social security system that would help promote financial management. So for instance, if you have a defined benefit and contribution scheme, this shows that both the employer and employee would contribute a particular amount of money as agreed towards that would be given to the, the worker at the point of retirement. It also ensures that people have access to, to, to educational allowances. So for instance, if you are working in a company and you want to further your studies, that would help improve your career in the long run and also help in the development of human capacity. It is important that countries allow you to do all of this. However, my view of the social security system in Nigeria is that it has not been fully implemented satisfactorily. And the few ones that have been implemented have not been fully monitored. And this is apparent in cases of embezzlement, misappropriation of pension. We see a lot of pensioners, you know, having to queue just to access their retirement funds and all of the money they had labeled for while working, then these are usually less effective due to regulatory policies in Nigeria that have, that have decided, that have probably decided or to be nonchalant about monitoring the way employers put the social security system into use or and probably seeking feedback from employees. Thank you. Okay, okay. So um, that's quite um, the sad reality we are facing in this country where you know, systems are not properly um, managed and you know, even some plans are not properly implemented. So um, going on, 
now that's okay fine that the um the policies the policies in place are not fully um integrated and all of that i would like to ask you Junos, um what comprises of a, of a secured financial plan what does um, a secured financial plan mean what does it mean uh, for somebody to okay. have um, a secured financial so plan? in my little understanding of taking few financial courses and in my little experiences that i've been able to pick across a few things i've been i was lucky to intend with a well-defined financial plan is essential for a secured future meaning if you do not have a financial plan at now there is almost a 60 percent probability that you wouldn't get a secured future because this covers how an individual manages their money as well as their saving investment how you take risk and then how you manage your short and long-term objective a financial a secured financial plan could be in various forms it could be in form of you saving for retirement, like I mentioned earlier, pension. It could be in form of you saving for your child's college fees. It could be in form of your own personal career and professional enrichment. And if you look at this deeply, a secured financial plan has either a direct or indirect relationship to economic growth. Because by the time everyone plans their future well, you would be able to have access to the money that you need to drive the consumption and consumption help propel economic growth over 60 to 70 percent but that isn't the topic for today so the component of a finance a secure financial plan for me it is something subjective i will be sharing a few however it is important that i talked about a secured financial strategies for those that do not have one yet so you might want to follow the 50 30 20 budgeting method this has proven to work for a couple of people. The 50% simply means that take 50% of your disposable income after you've made payment of your personal income tax. And after doing that, the 50% can go to your necessities. So for instance, you can use it to make payments for rent, for utilities, groceries, and transport. And the 30% can go into lifestyle because it is that you build relationship and manage families. Then the 20% can then go into the normal financial plan for you to secure your future. That way you can use it for retirement, you can use it for emergencies. Then you should equally limit unproductive debts. And then it is important that you use a financial planner to monitor. If it is not necessary, then it is not important. understand that the reality in you get the high cost of living would probably not allow you gain value so having a side business to complement whatever income you get would do and you should diversify your investment so is i would expect that is secure financial plan contain of cash contain of investments here yeah, you need to know how to tap opportunities into traditional asset classes like shares and bond you might want to do mutual funds. You might want to do even the. It's all about you identifying opportunities and aligning them with whatever financial plan you have for yourself. Thank you. Okay. Well, quick on you, news. Um, let's imagine I have 
I have money. Let's say I have mm. about millionaire in the bank. What would you advise me? Should I sell so, okay. money? So in your case, before giving you any advice, I need to know, I need to take into cognizance some factors. So number one, I need to know your investor's objective. I need to know your objective as an investor. So what do you, you have one million euro, when would you be needing it to be the next questions? Because, and then your risk appetite. So for instance, me knowing your age, if I know that you are probably in your late, in your late twenties or your early thirties, that means you are assumed to have a risk appetite to take enough risk. And then secondly, I need to know when you will be needing the money because this would allow me to make appropriate recommendation, either short-term investment or long-term investment. And then I wouldn't advise that you put your money into, into the bank vault because you hardly you get like a little or no interest on it. The the tiny, I will call it tiny, the tiny interest you get is just for them keeping it for you against theft. However, you need to, it is important that you need to make your money work for you. You I would recommend, so for instance, if you are in your late 20s and 30s, considering the current microeconomic environment, I would recommend that you put about 50 to 60% in equities. It need not be Nigerian equities, it could be US market. I would recommend that you put some in mutual funds. So in case you now need an emergency fund, you might just liquidate open-ended mutual funds. And I would recommend that you have some cash with you as well, such that you do not just break your investments all of the time. At least you give it spaces to mature. Some investment pay about 77%, some pays about 11%, some pays about 13%. But however, we need to take your risk appetite and you also need to have a little understanding about whatever you invest in. So, um, wow. the summary, just the advice you just gave me is to most likely invest the money, not give it back. You know, the Nigeria, the basic Nigerian financial intelligence when we are growing up is save your money, any money you have, save, 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 save. But you know, that's like the basic thing when you get, when you get, oh, those, those saving work every time. doesn't work every time. So, I would say that savings work some of the time. Like I said earlier, if you save your money, it's just like you are robbing yourself of the benefits. I would be using a particular brand logo. What we do is you save, you invest, and then you repeat. So now, consider yourself as someone earning 30000 per month because there are people like that. Consider the 50, 30, 20 ratio I have saved. Then you might want to start saving 20% of your, of your 30000 per month. So now when you accumulate them to a reasonable sort of money or amount of money, you can then move it into investment. So I would say that the first, the first action towards investment is savings. If you, are not, if you are not financially disciplined, you won't save. And if you are not financially disciplined, you won't invest. So if you can't save, it simply means you won't be able to invest. So savings is important, but it should be a short-term action rather than into the longer term. Okay, okay. So the, the take home is savings is for short term and you have to invest. Yes. You have to invest to make your money work for you. Yes. Okay. So um moving on, moving on, Eunice. Um your contribution has been very, very insightful. And then I personally have gained a lot of things and I am sure Mr. Atu you know has been able to also 
Sure. sure. That's what I'm Thank quiet. you for I'm this. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let's move on. Yeah. What does what role does creativity and innovation play in achieving? Okay. This? I can be so that I can be so dramatic when it comes to some questions, but because we are not using the video, so you might not see all of my drama. So. Creativity and innovation plays a crucial role. If there is something more than crucial, if there is an adjective that can just to qualify, I could probably say a critical role in achieving economic development. In fact, in achieving the SDGs, if you are not creative and innovative, I would assume that you shouldn't be in this 21st century. In particular, creativity and innovation doesn't only drive the economy is start from the smallest unit. So family, if you are creative as a family, you will be able to identify opportunities that other families are not seeing. This too goes back to financial discipline and investment. If you are creative as an organization, you will be able to stay at the top of your game. You will be able to tap into the market and make enough money out when compared to your firm. However, to achieve the goals, the sustainable development goals, cutting across, ending poverty. Yeah, cutting across, ending poverty, promoting economic growth, reducing hunger, fighting climate change, and above all, attaining economic prosperity. It is important that we create a safe environment that supports innovation and creativity. You know, there are some environments that they are very, very harsh that you find it difficult to even think out of the box. So for instance, the Nigerian economy, but then Nigerians are naturally strong. That is why regardless of the unstable and uncomfortable learning environment, Nigerians are blessed such that they can even think. Not everyone can. Imagine you have a family or you have an environment where people find it difficult to even take two or a square meal per day and you expect such person to think hunger blocks the brain you wouldn't be able to think so now we are witnessing a decade where talent are rising individuals are becoming better so if you are not creative if you are not innovative trust me in few years you become so irrelevant in the industry you even become so relevant in become so irrelevant in the society so when we talk about flutter wave Flutter Wave it was founded by, by an ex-Andela partner. Yes, an ex-Andela co-founder. What he did was to identify a problem. That means it was creative. So, so creativity starts with you identifying problems and looking for ways to create long-term values to them. So now he identified that Nigeria, Africans in diaspora find it difficult to send money to, to, to people in their own country. So he created Flutterweave to solve this problem. We are equally witnessing a time where fintech, financial technology firms are on, their, are on the rise. And this has even shaped banks to become better. We are seeing various innovative products by fintech. We are seeing people develop different products for investment. I just heard about something yesterday where Facebook would be launching WhatsApp banking. That's so amazing. Even on your WhatsApp, you can sell, you can buy, and you can do all sorts of things. We are witnessing a time. Yeah, oh, it has launched. Awesome. So we are even witnessing a time where mobile money transaction platforms being offered by telecom companies 
are replacing banking. When I was in Ghana, a couple of what we did, people hardly visit bank. All you need to do is just to have an active mobile money account. People send you money, you withdraw money, you even make payments in the market with mobile money. All of this is possible to creativity. And I would say that for you to be able to attain economic growth, for us to be able to achieve goal eight, not only goal eight, but all of the United Nations 17 goals, we need to encourage creativity and innovation. There are equally talks about you know transitioning the global economy from a carbonized one into a greener economy. Creativity has been working in this sense. We are witnessing ideas, policies that support greener economy, you know, renewable solar energy that haven't been thought of in the past few over the past few years. So for me, creativity is the art of sustainability. It drives society towards becoming better by creating long-term values for mm. humanity. That last slide is like on, on some Einstein, Einstein level. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, when, 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 when you were talking, something struck. And I remember this TED, this TED um, TEDx um, event I went to. And one of the of the speaker is just unfortunate now that the guy was um indicted mm. for fraud in Vector's Obi. He gave he gave a talk the other day about the um DNA of the Nigerian entrepreneur, and then he called us the Brazilian brand. So um moving on, moving on, I would I would like to ask you in our society today, you know, we have we are facing a lot of a lot of problems, even I as we are, <laughs> yeah. as resilient as we are, we found out that poverty is eating deep, you know, and causing um, it's part of one of the problems of our economy, or probably is even the economy that is even um, promoting poverty. So, how can um, finance be effectively harnessed? How can um, these people, especially people that are not in the white collar job, people? You know, those those people doing very informal jobs, doing manual jobs. How can they, you know, augment their financial status? How can they get better? How can they, you know, with the work they are doing? How can they rise oh, above the um, okay. so poverty level? This is this particular question is similar to my final year project because I think that the informal sector is highly underrated. They are they should be regarded as MVPs like the most valuable profession. So when you look at the economy of Nigeria, started with few corporate firms and a huge ton of graduates, a huge ton of students graduating from universities year on year, you would see that the informal sector has been able to a reasonable extent increase employment opportunities in Nigeria. In Africa, even in developed economies, you would see that the informal sector is doing a lot, just that in Nigeria, and probably the economy is assumed to be. So when we talk about the informal sector, the informal sector refers to those individuals that are self-employed, so we are looking at so sole proprietors, we are looking at SMEs, or those individuals that work for people that are self-employed. And the the reason why the informal sector has been overlooked is because they are basically unstructured, especially with the fact that 
most of their workers are not on payroll and are not being subjected to the personal income tax. So often when They assume that the informal sector doesn't fit in into the government force. However, when you look at it critically, you would see that the informal sector has done lots in reducing and bridging to its capacity unemployment gap. The informal sector are basically unrecorded. And then when you look at the huge volatility of financial activity in spaces of, you know, ports and markets, you see that each ton of money is changed and at the informal market. But still, there is a huge financial gap and these people find it difficult to manage finance, especially at the point where we are witnessing huge volatilities during the times of pandemic. So now, for us to ensure that finance can be duly accessed by the informal sector. It is important that bank, commercial banks in particular step forward to assume their role as the intermediary between those that have money, the savers or the lenders that want to deposit and then connect them with the borrowers or the withdrawer of funds because it is, it is only when an individual comes to, to deposit money that commercial banks will be able to create loan that is needed. However, a few of of the bank has been doing their best to bridge this. We've, we've seen, we've seen at least to a great extent that banks are beginning to create MSME units. You know, they are creating accounts that allows small people, that allows traders, that allow SME holders to open accounts with them. But I would say that the major, the major advance is illiteracy. So you might want to consider. You might want to consider having this translated into local languages, and you might want to reduce the requirements for account openings. There could be other way for you to verify. The major setback why these people haven't been financially included is because they assume that you have to go through rigorous policies. They assume that you have to go through a lot of stress, and this is equally one of those reasons why they have decided to be exempted from the tax net. Another thing, the government needs to do a lot in terms of awareness. The government needs to step up its game. The government needs to stop associating the informal sector as illegal activity. Not all businesses in the informal space are illegal. A lot of them are legal. So the government needs to ensure that it drafts programs that would help increase both financial and human capacity and also reduce its bureaucratic process towards helping the informal sector grow. For instance, the Lagos State government did something on Lagos State Trust Fund. I think, I do not know a lot about it, but I think what it does is to train people or, and recent graduates that intend to go into businesses. Another thing is traders' money. We've seen the, the traders' money application by the federal government where they provide them to traders, but then, they need to create more awareness about this, like I said. And I think one thing we can do for the informal sector is that we understand that all of the graduates that are being turned out here on year do not get a job at the same time. So we might want to use our NYSC year, like our service year, to promote some skills needed in the informal space and equally set them up in terms of capital requirements. And another thing we need to do is we need to ensure a better access to credit and financing. These all 
enforce or the regulatory policy. So now when the central bank enacts policy, they'll probably reduce low interest rates on loan. When these traders and other people in the, in the informal space get loans and they have minimal interest to pay on it, taking into cognizance that they are less structured and they go through a lot, you know, electricity, they do not have huge liquidity to turn their business. Banks need to make sure that they reduce the application requirements for microcredit and they equally provide support to the government towards reducing the rate at which business fails. So now you might want to consider the Islamic banking here. What Islamic banking does is that when they give out loan, they do not take interest because it is assumed to be rebar. So now it is assumed to be forbidden. So when they give you loan, what they do is that you do not pay interest, but you share the profits of the business from the business using a specified um, wish islamic banking works in this sense so when islamic banks give you loan they do not take interest on it because interest is assumed to be river forbidden so one thing they do is that the way you pay back there will be an agreement for a particular number of years the money will be used for in the business so you share the profits i'm very sure it's not equally but i do think that the sharing formula is fair enough. I'm seeing the likes of Jay's Bank doing very well, getting more people, increased customers, and still going. So now, if you want to enact this policy and create more awareness about investment banking, probably more money would be available for SMEs. If you check other economies like Saudi Arabia, you check Dubai, they've been able to grow their economy on some policies of investment banking. Because when you give out loan to somebody, you are not collecting interest rate, you are sharing the profit. You know that when the person make loss too, they won't be getting anything. That way, banks will be forced to monitor the business. Oh, are you going? Oh, oh, okay, how is your business going? And then they would even step out of their comfort zone to offer some venture capitalist advice. So you want to offer them advice with services too for free. That is how you do it. This is how you do it. Because you know your money is with them. So if you don't do it well, if you don't collaborate with them, bank would also lose and they would lose. I think that might probably bring sanity into the system and help pump liquidity too. Thank you. Wow. Hmm. Wow, wow, wow. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> We're actually having last line. A whole lot of questions, but let me, I want to even ask Yes, regarding Islamic banking, but well, let's just um, because I know if we start talking about the loans, how is um, how the bank that that give loan without interest, how are they going? How are they surviving and all of that? Well, another topic for another another day. <laughs> Yes, so let's just quickly go. You mentioned something about um, legal business, illegal business. Um, what's in just about let's say 30 seconds like what makes a business legal what makes it legal? oh okay so i would say that the definition of legality and illegality can be subjective to a reasonable extent so now the government would probably consider a business as legal if you comply with all governmental policies so now if you register your business with the corporate affairs commission if you sign up for tax you get a tax identification number and then you turn in your you turn in your tax for the government. That way you become different to the government normally. And then if you are doing your business irrespective of fraud, if you are if you are conducting your business in a very 
upright and straight manner. So that can be regarded as legal. So illegal activities are those activities that have to do with smuggling, are those activities that are not captured as a component into the component of GDP. So for instance, if you check, I would compare the petrol companies, the typical filling station at legal. They are legal business because they are operating based on standard. That is how they are supposed to operate. On the flip side, look into the formal sector. You see that people start selling petrol in cherry cans and then in little quantities that they are not supposed to do because they are not filling station. So that way, it is an illegal business. So a couple of ordering where people get something, try to order it till when the price goes up and they start selling it. Fraudulent activities are common in both sides. So a few characteristics that I have mentioned make the informal sector look illegal almost to the government. Okay, illegal to the government. Um, okay, 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 okay. I don't, I don't, I want to talk about um, this. Um, the the people engaging in because there's there's a news that broke out recently about a popular um um Instagram okay. influencer you know a popular skit the, 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 there's the, there's still the, um some kind of complexity mm-hmm. around the story and, and she, they found out that she's into um advanced free for I think the EFCC just caught her and then the, the news just broke just broke this um, um, the early, I think, late hours of Monday to um, today is what Wednesday, to, yeah. um, Wednesday, but so late hours of yes, to the early hours of um, Monday. But we already know the answer to that question that those kind of things are illegal. So let's move on. In the case where you, you know you mentioned something about um, the you know some jobs or some um, some activities not contributing to the um, GDP of the economy and all of that. Now, we see that the, the world is actually facing an economic crisis. The world is facing a pandemic and all of this. Now, and, you know, small businesses are actually affected. So what um, step can you propose? You know, what suggestion can you give these small businesses? Probably there's somebody listening that's running a small business and, you know, the person does not have sale probably because of how it is and all of that. What can you propose for this um, businesses to assess finances and you know to um, for them to be able to ensure their so, um, sustainability and their stability ability first and then their sustainability oh, this crisis. I got your point up to what can I propose then I got disconnected okay 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 so I was saying that what can you propose to this business in this time of crisis you know to ensure their stability and sustainability oh, okay. For the small businesses. So, to be sincere, there is really not nothing they can do. Or should I say, there is really almost nothing that these businesses can do. Like we mentioned earlier, they have little or no access to finance. Consider a shop owner that sells basically biscuits, sweets, and tin milk. How do you expect the person to cope with to keep its business running with a family of four and doesn't get access to finance and then the economy is on lockdown. So now, within the period of national lockdown, these small businesses, 
because they are usually faced with huge expenses and lower revenue or huge family responsibilities and the like. They end up spending all of their profits on family responsibilities and personal needs. Aside that, in a period where you're not working, they would probably dip into their capital. So I would say that small businesses in their own capacity are faced with liquidity issues. They do not have enough money. They do not have enough human capacity to keep their business running. And they do not have like enough buffers that would help them recover from the pandemic. So basically the owners, the responsibility lies on the government. So to come out to build them out of the crisis, just the way the government in advanced economies have been doing. So I will do a run through a few things that I know about how governments across the world are responding to small businesses because they understand their importance to the economy. They understand that if they leave small businesses to fold up, there will be huge retrenchment of workers. And all of this would increase the unemployment rates, might even double or triple and become something very difficult for them to handle into the long run. They understand that this small business is comprises of restaurants, of pubs, and the like. So now, small businesses, they are at the forefront of the pandemic, like I said. They like financial, the financial capacity to carry on business activities, cutting across production, cutting across payment of employees and delivery of services. So to complicate this matter, government across different economies have now directed the national lockdown you are shutting borders, preventing them from even getting their goods, and then you've enacted social distancing policies. Just imagine in your head the way social distancing policies would affect restaurants, would affect small malls and grocery stores. So to combat this pandemic, it is important that government put themselves at the front line, government and central bank. So now government and central bank, um, I'm actually excited that government and central bank of different economies are responding in the right direction to pump liquidity. So now, why they are helping all of the formal sector, the big firms, the corporate organization, they are not leaving the small and medium scale enterprises behind. So in United Nations, we've seen, we've, we've witnessed huge, huge fiscal stimulus, about two, $2 trillion that have been disbursed into the economy. So now in terms of paying directly to households, so what they do is to pay checks directly to households. They know that the SMEs are like, almost like the father and mothers with huge responsibilities and you need to even feed your family. So now they are helping the small businesses, not just in their own capacity alone, but helping them even solve poverty. The central bank, Hello. the Federal Reserve, Hello. which is the Central Bank of the United States, have cut interest rate, cut interest rate three times within this pandemic to make sure that loans are cheaper. We've witnessed the CARES Act representing a coronavirus relief economic, I can't remember the S, <laughs> where wow. they are coming up with different strategies to ensure that they keep pumping liquidity. And the most important thing here is that we now have Main Street lending program. So Main Street, from the word Main Street is assumed to be hubs of SMEs in the United States. They provide money for SMEs that value between $250 to $300. So now you get the loan at cheaper interest rates, almost lower than the banks. And then you have the opportunity of deferring payments. You won't pay within the within first and second year. So you can start making payments after the third year. 
there's something called the pay protection program. They understand that some SMEs are even smaller than 250 million. They are providing them with money too. We've witnessed situations in Africa where Nigerian government said about 50 million Naira has been disbursed to the vulnerable and SMEs. They said so. And I equally read that the government have asked businesses to file in and submit their report on why they would be needing money. A particular microfinance bank is adding that. In South Africa, South Africa, which fell into recession even before the coronavirus pandemic, has enacted millions of the South African rands to ensure that SMEs keep running and have equally instructed banks that they should be lenient in terms of loan default. So now, if you're a business and you can lift up your loan, banks are not liable to, you know, take over your business. And then, like I said earlier, SMEs have little or nothing to do and to fight back. Their survival all depends on the ability of government to support them during this process. But on their own part, when they receive this money, they need to be sure that they bring sanity into it and utilize it for business purposes in loan so that the debt of productive okay, for okay, them to be able okay, to okay. Sorry uh, to cut you in. Huh? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, you know. Yes. You know, when you when you started, when you started talking and then you were like, oh, SMEs don't have anything to offer and all of that. And anybody listening will be like, oh man, this might be a pessimist. <laughs> and as along the line, I was, following, I was actually following your trail of thought and I was thinking that, okay, yes, this is what the government, I'm, I'm actually weighing this situation in our present um, yeah. um, climate in Nigeria. You know, this is what the government should do. This government is supposed to provide stimulus and all of that, but we know our government, do you understand? And the only thing, the only help the government has been able to do is that they lock down and then they allow these people to go out and, you know, Allow, the, instead of them to okay, try to maintain um, the, the, the social distancing rule, lockdown and all of that, they say they don't, the economy do not support them to be providing the stimulus for people. And somebody says that this government, I think the, the coronavirus is just um, a kind of stress for them. What they just want to do is just to get into office and then um, siphon money, embezzle money, and then enjoy their life. But when this, this is giving them so much headache. So instead of them to probably, like this strategy that you've, you know, you, you've spoken about, okay, how different countries have been able to implement this and all of that, they decide that the best thing for us to do is just to allow these people just go out. And now they said they want to even open schools, they want to open malls, they want to open all of that. And because yeah. they said the economy cannot support that. So um, anybody that's listening and, you know, in the beginning, you do not really like, you, you are trying to like, ah, at least there's something that should be done. In reality, Especially in this in this case, in reality, the, most of the work is actually um, in the hands of the government. There's actually little that can be done on you know on this small I, businesses part. And yeah. our country decided that. So I was. Yeah, I'm okay. sorry to cut in. I was going to say that yeah, I'm not yeah. going to be supporting the Nigerian government by what I want to by what I will, I'm about to say. But then when you look at these economies that I've mentioned, the United States in particular, you look at the Eurozone, you look at UK, these economies are advanced economies. They have money, they have all of these things. So the few ones that we even have in Nigeria has been, have probably been embezzled. And then the government do not have huge physical stimulus as massive as $2 trillion, $3 trillion, you know, to pour into the economy. We do not have like 
our central bank is still backward in terms of independence and all of that. Probably God help us in the long term and we'll see sanity. So now one thing they can do is to take on debt. And we've been seeing here and there that African government are taking up debt. Even IMF is giving them almost free money. So now you get the principal as long as it's targeted to coronavirus support-related programs. You do not pay interest rates and you return the money back. The exact principal, no interest rates, rapid credit facility. So now our government has been getting money. I think three days ago, the Nigerian government published an amount of, I think, over billions of naira that they've received for this coronavirus. Now, this then comes into structuring mm -hmm. policy and the kind of people in governments. Mm -hmm. Regardless of how small they are, they claim not to have our data, but then during election processes, we submit our data, we would register and all of that. So there's really a long way to go. And then they are taking up debts. And the problem why the problem we are facing in terms of repayment is because those debts are not used, are not expended into productive projects. So for instance, where you take on debt to use it to even address electricity issue and then finance food. Once your economy has stable power supply and a fair road as compared to other African economies, you'll be able to attract foreign investors and that way your economy would go. You can compare Ghana to Nigeria. Nigeria has been going at a retrogressive rate, Nigeria has been hovering around 2% for a time. And then Ghana, before the coronavirus pandemic, grew around 6 to 7%. We witnessed even Tanzania is growing on the average 6%. We witnessed how Kenya is growing, you know, how Ethiopia is growing. But then when they refer to giants of Africa, we step forward to talk. But this is a discussion for another day. And I don't really like talking about Nigeria. Yeah, when you when you do, you actually feel frustrated. You know, it drains you of your energy because these things, these issues, has been there for a long time. And I think we suffer from collective amnesia, where we keep on repeating mm -hmm. what has happened. You know, so um, to just end this your note, uh, I was on the business the um, conference, and one of the takeaways I'm going to relate to what you said that you know, for us to have a better economy, we have to have two things connectivity and electricity. Connectivity in terms of road and electricity that would allow these businesses to thrive. So moving on to our final questions. You know, um, this is for you know young people, you know, you're, you're a fresh graduate and all of that, and people probably undergraduates in the university, people that are just leaving school, people that are still thinking about what they are, they are supposed to do. Now, um, our career choices, you know, career choices, is it dependent on the economy? You know, this dependent economy, like for, <laughs> I, I've forgotten this triangle, you know, where everybody, what's, what we want to do, especially in this country, the, 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 the base we are is everybody just wants to survive. <laughs> you know, there's really nothing like passion. What you just want to do is just find a, find a course. And I think that's what our parents say, okay, yeah, medicine, medicine, <laughs> I think medicine is the kind I of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm you need so to do you think actually should be um, dependent on how the economy is? Or the economy should be dependent on uh, or the economy mm, should decide yeah. how your career This is a deep question. Economy should depend on career choice. So for me, I would be drawing so for me, I would be drawing 
two different points of view. But I think that the relationship between career choices and economy is intertwined. Why the choices we make can be based on what the economy assumed to be in vogue. The, why the choices we make can be assumed to be on what the economy sees to be in vogue. The economy also needs labor for growth in terms of driving the economic indicator. So what I'm basically saying is that you do want to study a course that when you that is not needed in the economy. And by the time you come out, you are looking so useless. And then the economy also needs people to drive their to drive the country to keep running. So now when you do not have skilled labor, a lot of people would not would probably not get jobs. That way, consumption will be hot, unemployment rate will rise, and all of that. But then career choice is a lifelong process. In fact, it is a continuous process. You would probably be gaining a lot of experience depending on the mindset. I can't really draw a thin line between career choices and economy. The relationship between career choices and economy is intertwined. So now, why why the choice we make can be why the choice we make can be based on what the economy assumed to be involved. So for instance, you don't want to study a particular course and then come out of the university and become so irrelevant. The economy also need labor for driving growth. And this is evident in the economic indicators. So now when a lot of people study irrelevant courses and then they come out of the university, they find it difficult to gain to probably gain employment. And that way they would have issues with establishing businesses and all of the economic indicators, consumption, investment would mutually be out. So now career choice is a lifelong and continuous process that have to do with you acquiring experiences, knowledge, purposeful learning, and all of the skills that would make you marketable and become relevant in a diverse world. So now, just as the way production are used differently, the way you use land, machinery, and all of that differently, labor and or human capital in general can be either be used in manufacturing and or providing services. So it gives, this gives you the opportunity to make wide career choice. And then, the supply of labor is relatively scarce. So now you want to look at the kind of, of courses or career you want to pursue that are needed and then probably the ones that are scarce such that when you graduate, you would use all of your skills and capabilities towards making yourself better and contributing to the economy. So now, for instance, the firms, firms and corporate organization in general are now running a linear structure. So they are running a structure where they can be able to meet shareholders' profit maximization on return of objective. You want to make sure that you do not incur a lot of expenses, that you have profit left in order for you to be able to mm -hmm. distribute dividends to your shareholder. Hence, there's a need for them to cut all of those redundant career that somebody would be a bookkeeper and another person will be an accountant. What's that? You have to now gauge them to see which one is better and which one can be retrenched. So now 
an individual an individual career is important since it does not only provide you with gainful employment, but it is also an indicator of your personal well-being. When you have a career that you know you are almost sure that you will get a job, then your mental health would be stable, you you would be better at your thinking process. It's equally in your growth and your finances. But then on the flip side, looking at it from the microeconomic perspective, a lack of employability contributes to structural and frictional unemployment. Now, what is frictional unemployment? Frictional, em frictional unemployment occurs when, as a result of you transitioning from one job to another. So now when you are leaving one job and you are unable to get another job, within that time you are frictionally unemployed. And then there's another one called structural unemployment. This occurs as a result of fundamental shifts in an economy. So for instance, there was a time when the world was talking about factory workers. Factory workers would be the one that would, you know, do this, do that, and then they got replaced by machines. Now, the world is no longer talking about machines. We are leaning towards technology. We are leaning towards policies. We are leaning towards data. So all of these cues now are all of these choices are being dictated by the economy. Now you want to push your career towards that line so that when you come out, you do not want to struggle. In the 1960s, as told or as read before I was born, a lot of people want to become bankers because they like the way they dress and then they want to count money. All of them want to be a major people want to be tellers, they want to be cashier. Now we have automated machine that even accept deposits. So the focus in banking has shifted from retail and all of those, and, and all of those redundant careers to investments. You know, you work in the bank, you want to focus on investment, you want to focus on wealth management, you want to focus on research, you want to focus on institutional bank, you want to, to focus on trade finance. Now, in conclusion, the labor force is responsible for driving the largest impact on GDP, which is consumption. When a lot of people are able to get into job, unemployment will reduce, they will be able to spend more. When the economy, when people are spending more, more goods will be produced and GDP increases. All of this would aid the attainment of goal eight. But if it upgrade one skill as well as a failure to upgrade one skill to what the economy assumed to be involved will lead to labor being crowded out and then influx of talent being imported. So now when they have skill and then the populace or the citizens doesn't have that skills, they would become increased rates of unemployment in economies and Africa as compared to other economies, because people identify what's involved, they match their skills. To me, is vital to nation building. And it is also important that you make viable career choice that not only dependent on the economy, but it gives you a sort of satisfaction that when you look back in time, you will be so happy that you have studied what you study and the one that gives okay. you a secured future. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you very much.
your um, insights, you know. You know, you, when you were talking, you mentioned something about <laughs> some people would um, study useless courses at the university and it struggled mm-hmm. like, what courses are useless? And along the lines, you know, you started explaining you know, how the world is shifting, even presently. Let's say, let's say I was at but probably some five, eight years ago, there are some courses that were looking like hot cake. And then when people, you see now, the trend is that people people go to the university. I think the way it is going, people just go to university to just have the certificate. You know, once you come out, then you now retrain and reskill yourself to, to the skills that are in demand at that particular time. You, see, after, yeah, you know, after... Yeah, 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 sure. The problem... Yeah. Sorry. So the problem is not even you going to the university to study. I tell people, no course is useless. Now, people run away from agriculture. They will tell you, I don't want to study agriculture because I don't want to be a farmer. Now, agriculture is leaning towards hot cake because we are now witnessing the importance of agriculture, especially at the point of pandemic mm. where you can't import goods from all of those people. We've realized that we need to upskill people. We need to upskill farmers. We need to now bring in technology. You can study whatever course in the university. When you graduate, you need mm. to evaluate that. Is this what is invoked? Can I change my mm. career choice? No one is tying you down and get all those skills, certification, and pursue another thing that I'm interested in. Or can you even look at what you've studied in the university? What can I do better? And how can I even become relevant with this particular course that I have studied? And not just that you come out, you start sleeping. We have a lot of people study philosophy. How many logic and how many theories have they been able to postulate? Mm. How is this mm. adding up? You might just want to move. Study philosophy doesn't stop you from working in the bank. Study philosophy doesn't stop you from doing other things. It depends on individual mindset. That's why I said it depends on the economy to some extent. And to some extent, if you look critically, it doesn't depend on the economy. It's actually what you think you want to do. What hmm. gives you satisfaction okay. as an individual? Speaking, speaking of the bank, speaking of the bank, you know, I have this theory about banks. Banks, I think as at now, to work to work in a bank is actually one of like the easiest things to do. You know what banks are looking for? Banks, my theory is that banks look for cheap labor. So they employ people that are other fields because they feel like they don't really have that skill. Imagine somebody study accounting and then you work in the bank and probably the standard payment, probably entry level for somebody that is working at the bank with that degree because you know what you want to do is about let's say like 90, 100, 150, like that. And then Another person that just finished probably studied microbiology, you know, studied Yoruba, and then he just wants he just wants somewhere. And then the bank's like and then he's up there is working in the bank. But I feel bank bank work is um I don't know kind of the kind of modern slavery or something. Because it's not all bank not all bank work. Not all bank works. It depends on, it, I, I still go back to value. It depends on what you see value in. And it depends on the standard that you yourself have set for yourself as an individual. So now, if I'm not blaming people that studied Yoruba and end up working in the bank, the yeah. reality of Nigeria is there are no jobs. So, um, yes, thank you so much, Eunice, for your time. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate your, um, um, your insights. You know, you've... <laughs> You even dropped. I think if anybody from the government is listening to this podcast, they should 
they should pick one or two things that you've said, you know, especially I, I find a lot of um, wisdom in those strategies, you know, that other countries have applied. And if you even look at it, it's even sounding like a bit of satire because our government, well, they said they've, they've you know, provided stimulus and all of that and blah, 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 and stuff like that. So um, it's actually very, very stimulating to have you here and I personally have gained a lot and I hope and I even am quite confident that anybody else that would listen to this podcast will also you know would not be the same in terms of you know um knowledge and yes yes so um Mr. do you have um yeah come on do you have anything to say I just love (laughs) to say a big thank you to you because I got few important tips that I've put in my left hand and I'll not use it to eat a bar. So basically, and I would use them. I would certainly use them. Thank you very oh. much. Okay. Um, so um, some people might want to connect with you, you know, on social media and all of that, you know. So can you drop your, um, probably your Instagram and your Twitter and you? Okay, I I am supposed to do my own appreciation too. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for everyone on this panel and the XTG FNAF Act for having me share my few insights. I equally gained a lot from all of your questions because they kept me on the toes. They made me utilize my thought process more and to see reasons why we all can become better towards achieving the global objectives. So if you would like to connect with me, I am someone I like to talk, I like to network, I like to learn from you. My, my name on LinkedIn is Yunus Ibrahim, then Twitter and Instagram at Yunus Dams, Y-H-U-N-U-Z underscore D-E-M-S. Yeah, on that note, you can also follow us. Thank you so um, much can get more of our updates, our creative updates on Instagram at um, SDGs Act for now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. SDGs yeah. Act So um, actually, okay. I do the closing Thank prayer. We'll go. Share the grace and let's go. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. This was a, a very, very insightful topic and I must really say, our guest was amazing. It was on fire. Exactly, that's the point. That's the word. And I say (laughs) very briefly once again, you know, like, I really appreciate this. And our moderator, respect, thank you very much, too. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, and somebody, there's also somebody here that was not talking. Yes, um, isn't Andrew Emmanuel? Yes, <laughs> Emmanuel, <laughs> say something. Yeah, I had a problem initially in the beginning. So I, Emmanuel. You have a problem in this was me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I was sort of cut off, so I didn't just want to jump in. Okay. So um, oh, yeah. basically, Emmanuel was actually so, in charge of um, running the background, um, coming up with the topic, and also, um, you know, helping us source for this um, stimulating question. So um, we really appreciate Emmanuel and the team for um, um, doing this work for us. So thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, everyone that has spent your efforts to making yeah, this welcome. realistic. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we can go now. We have play soft music.